I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During this initial episode, I want to talk to you all about some of the inspiration behind my development of this podcast. And I also want you to know a little bit about me. Um, I think it's really important for us to lead by example. So if I'm interviewing other people, I'm featuring the narratives of individuals who are professionals, community leaders, and also trauma survivors. I think it's also really important for me to model that as well. I have to admit, it's not always easy to um, openly kind of reflect on traumas and also even to reflect on strengths. Sometimes that's difficult for me as well. But I think that if I'm asking other people to do that, then I think that I should also be willing to do that as well. So this podcast um, came out of like the coronavirus um, isolation that we've all been experiencing. So many of us have been looking for ways to connect. We've been overwhelmed by looking at a television screen or looking at um, a computer screen, an iPad, um, a phone, a tablet. And um, we still want to connect with other people, though, and we still kind of have this desire to learn, to grow as individuals, even in the midst of the isolation that we're experiencing. So I started thinking about um, different potential ways to connect with other people. Um, I have been trying to be creative, as I'm sure you have also been trying to be creative in identifying potential ways to connect with other people. And um, I find myself oftentimes trying to reinvent the wheel. So I want to come up with um, something that is new, that's revolutionary, um, but something that a friend of mine, um, Lorraine Carey, told me maybe a year ago is that, Megan, you don't always have to reinvent the wheel. And I have really been trying to internalize that and say, you know what? Um, I probably already have an idea. I probably already have a concept that I can use that can benefit me, that can benefit others. And I don't always have to reinvent the wheel. So um, I was thinking about all the connections that I already have. Um, And I have had the amazing, incredible opportunity to connect with a lot of different types of people. So I have connections with writers, um, with uh, teachers, with educators, with clinicians, with um, people working everyday jobs, with um, caregivers, with families, with children, with people who've been through trauma, with people who have um, experienced significant privilege, but have used their privilege to channel it into um, the service of others who may not necessarily have that privilege. So I was thinking, what if I actually talked to people that I already have connections with and I ask everybody the same set of questions? And And some of the people that I know are doing such incredibly powerful work, um, but we don't necessarily take the time to talk to one another about our stories, about the things that make us who we are as professionals, as individuals, as caregivers, as as friends, as theorists. So I wanted to use this podcast as an opportunity to capitalize on the connections that I already have and ask the same set of questions to all these different people from diverse backgrounds, um, professionally, ethnically, racially, um, and then and then identify a platform for me to be able to share these conversations with you all. So here are the questions that I'm going to be asking everybody who comes and visits my podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are. Tell us about what you do. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? Can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? 
Where do you see yourself in the future or what is your future vision? Are there any favorite or life-changing resources that you want to share with listeners? And is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? So in this podcast episode, I am going to go ahead and I am going to answer my own questions um, and share them with you. So I'm going to start off by telling you about who I am. My name is Megan Corrado. I am an African-American woman. I am very creative. I consider myself to be um, innovative. Whenever I see a challenge, um, I, how to say this, I don't necessarily take no for an answer. If I see that there's an obstacle, I try to figure out what the rules are in order to overcome the obstacle. And I try to consider alternative creative pathways to get around whatever that obstacle is to be able to still accomplish a goal. That's definitely been a part of my character um, and who I am as a person from a very early age. I would say that I'm, I'm very ambitious. Um, I love school, love school. I have always loved school ever since I was a little kid. I used to cry when there was a snow day because I didn't understand why the weatherman canceled school because I wanted to learn. What are some other things that are important to know about me? I'm very organized. I'm a spreadsheet person. I love a good spreadsheet. I also love highlighters. Um, I love all the organizational materials that come that come out um, during back to school time. All those things make me feel very happy, especially because it's, this is another thing about me. I'm a multitasker. I am seldom ever working on only one thing at a time. Actually, I can I I can't even think of um, a time when I've only worked on one particular thing. As a middle schooler, as a high schooler, and then in my adult professional career, I have always kind of had my hand simultaneously in multiple things. And I really enjoy that. So some people say, oh, why don't you take a break? Why don't you say no to some things? Um, while it's true that I should probably say no to more things than I actually do, um, part of my like survival strategy and also part of what makes me feel happy and fulfilled as a person is being busy. Now I'm going to tell you about what I do. So I do a lot of different things. So I am a doctor of social work. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a trauma expert. Um, I'm also an educator at Bryn Mawr College. I teach in their Masters of Social Services program or their MSW program. Um, I teach students in a lot of different courses like foundation practice. I've taught a class um, called Power, Privilege, and Oppression. I've taught family therapy, trauma-informed social work. Um, human behavior in the social environment. And then I actually developed my own course, which I was very excited that Bremar was flexible and um, enthusiastic enough to allow me to teach this class that I created. But the name of it is uh, Social Work Trauma and the Arts. And that has been a really exciting class to be able to teach where I'm kind of taking all these different things that I picked up and learned throughout the course of my career. I learned through mentors, I learned through books, I learned through my own experiences with trauma. And I put put all of these things together in a course to support social workers who are interested in identifying ways to integrate the arts into their own social work practice, but also having a foundational theoretical understanding of trauma as well. I also created the Stories Trauma Narrative Intervention, and it's stories with a Z. Um, and stories offers resources and trainings, and also engages in community partnerships with the goal of helping trauma survivors to create voice and honor their narratives. So there are different resources for different populations. So um, Story started off as 
a format to support therapists in helping youth tell their trauma narratives. So looking back at their sources of strength and also looking back at their um, adversities, organizing their experiences, using a creative medium to be able to express that narrative and then figure out ways that they want to continue their story by developing their future vision. So after I initially developed this first resource, I then, um, it's funny because it's like, Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you all, but um, there are times when like one door opens another door, which leads to 50 other doors, which leads to 100 doors. And then you're wondering how you even got there. Um, That's definitely the case with my story's trauma narrative intervention. So I started off by just developing um, two resources and 10 video clips um, to support therapists as they help their clients youth, particularly urban youth of color, and telling their trauma narratives. And since then, the work has really expanded. If you told me that at this point, I would have published nine books and had multiple training programs and provided training to over 4,000 people all over the country and also to people internationally, I would have said, no, I don't think that that really the case. That's really not going to happen. But um, now that I'm on the other side of that and, and can look back and say like, wow, you know, I really was able to develop all these things and, and have an impact in this way. It's really um, exciting. It's very humbling. And it's also a constant learning process. So things that I never thought that I would ever need to know about as far as like running your own business, as far as um publishing books and all the different details of things and like and even like legal consent forms and copywriting all these things um were a part of me developing these resources and the more that i continue to grow and expand the more that i'm learning and it's very exciting it's very humbling to be able to um to be able to take something that i was using for myself and i was using with individual clients and to develop a protocol or a framework for other people to also be able to use. Um, Yeah, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about my own traumas. And I have to say that if I had not gone through those traumas, I would not have been able to develop all the resources and the training material that I developed for stories. Now, if I had a choice to go back in time, I most likely would not have wanted to repeat those experiences. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go through any of the things that I went through again. However, I can say that those experiences were transformative and those experiences have impact and continue to impact and shape who I am. And uh, they also play a significant role in, in the things that I'm developing and creating. Trying to think if there's anything else that's important for you to know about what I do. Um, I'm also uh, on the board of directors for the Campaign for Trauma-Informed Policy and Practice. Um, It's an advocacy organization. Um, We're all volunteer-based, and there are are trauma experts from all over the country who are part of it. I'm in charge of the communications committee, and um, I've been able to work alongside of some really really incredible theorists and advocates to be able to... um, Identify ways to provide trauma-informed support across systems and also to identify ways legislatively that we can take steps that we need to um, in order to provide the trauma-informed care and support that individuals and communities really need. Oh, another thing that I do, I forgot to, I mentioned this briefly um, before, but I'm also an artist. So I'm a mixed media mosaic artist and my favorite materials are alcohol ink and tempered glass. 
And um, if you have not looked up Alcohol Inc., I strongly recommend that you look it up. There are YouTube videos about it. There are um, different links for tutorials. It's exciting. So it's like this really drippy ink that only works on non-porous surfaces. Or if it's a porous surface like wood, you can coat it in gesso, which is like a primer, and then you can ink on top of it. And um, I have loved playing with these alcohol inks, creating new and different things, um, making mistakes, making things that are ugly, making things that are beautiful, um, but all the while expressing who I am. Um, as a child, I, I like to create. As a child, I, I mostly was a writer. So I used to write all types of stories, fictional stories, and then I would journal. And um, I loved writing. I even loved writing essays in high school. And um, I found that it's really helpful for me to have a medium where I'm able to express myself verbally, but it's also really important for me to have a way to express myself when words are not enough or when I can't find the words to describe how it is that I'm feeling. And um, I find myself using the visual arts as a way to contain and express and project and infuse all of these different emotions that I'm having about a lot of different um, life experiences in a way that feels safe and comfortable and alive. So it's important um, to remember, and I, I point this out during every podcast episode, that every individual, every community, every system has a story. And every story includes both adversity and strength. So I'm going to talk to you about some of the adversities that I faced, and I'm also going to talk to you about... Um, the strengths and the positive turning points that I've also um, identified as really central to my narrative as well. So to start off, it's really difficult for me to talk about some of the adversities that I've faced. Um, I don't want to say that I've experienced every possible trauma that anyone could experience. Um, and I'm not going to say that I'm the most traumatized person of all traumatized people. But I will say that I have experienced multiple traumas and I've experienced them all throughout the course of my life. And it's funny. So I found this profession as a licensed clinical social worker, as a trauma expert, as an author, um, as an advocate. But when I first became interested in this trauma work, I had no idea that I was actually a survivor of trauma. I didn't use that word to describe my experiences. I didn't use those words to describe my experiences in childhood or in adolescence or, or in early adulthood. But uh, there was some point, I think it was in my master's program where I realized that I wasn't just studying about someone else. I was also learning about myself. And it wasn't an us versus them situation where I was helping someone else um, and I had already achieved healing. I've realized that we're all in this together. So recently I found out that even the very circumstances of my birth um, involve trauma. Some parts of my story, uh, some parts of my story involve others. And I feel that, that it's really important, especially with like early trauma that significantly impact family members. I wanna be careful that I'm respecting their narrative um, so, so for some things in my childhood, to be honest, I'm kind of vague about because I don't want to, uh, betray anyone else's story or expose anyone else's story. But, um, from a very early age, um, I was exposed 
to uh, to adversity. There was a lot of conflict in the home that I grew up in. There was depression. Um, my mom was a single parent and she did the best that she could with the resources and the support that she had. She made, she made sure that I had the basic necessities of what I needed. Uh, but then I also know that my mom was also trying to overcome her own traumas. One of the biggest adversities that affected me as a child was uh, going to visit my grandfather's grave. As long as I can remember, my grandmother would take me to his grave and he actually died a year before I was born. My mom found him um, collapsed in the bathroom. She was a teenager. And um, after that, they found out that he had bacterial meningitis and he, uh, he was never conscious again. And I know that that had a significant impact on all of the family, on my mom's siblings, on my grandmother. And I remember uh, being told at a very early age that I was special because I was almost like filling a gap, a filling a gap that, uh, that his death left behind. And I remember always going to the cemetery with my grandmother to the point that a few years ago, I wanted to go back to see if I remembered where the gravesite was and I did. And that was probably 20 years later that I went there, at least 20 years later. I could still find um, the, same, the same plot in a really big, uh, overwhelmingly big, especially as a child cemetery and I was able to find it. And I just remember kind of like these constant um, feelings of anxiety and worry and sadness surrounding death and knowing that uh, that death had significantly impacted our family and also feeling the responsibility of kind of helping everybody heal after this traumatic death had occurred. Another thing that really significantly uh, impacted me in childhood was growing up without a father. It's difficult for me to talk about this. It's difficult for me to talk about the adversity that I faced, period. I think part of it is because uh, I survived by blocking out stressors at times, by kind of putting them into a box and then saying, okay, I know the box is there, but how do I continue on? How do I um, pay attention to what's in front of me? And how do I contain what it is that I've been through? So... I remember these really awkward and strange interactions with my father. I remember never feeling comfortable around him. Um, I would see him maybe every year, every two years. Sometimes we would make plans to uh, see him and he wouldn't show up or he would cancel at the last minute. So I was this little girl you know, with my with my ponytails, and my braids and my barrettes and I would be I would be ready to see him. And then at the last minute he would cancel. And I remember one time me and my mom were sitting outside of McDonald's because that's where we were going to meet. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And for a kid, it felt like forever. I don't know how much time it actually was in real life, but it felt like forever to me. And my mom didn't say anything. She never actually said anything negative about my father to me. Whatever I learned about him and whatever negative things I may have said about him later on in life, I learned all of it myself because my mother, um, my mother wanted me to kind of see for myself um, who he was as a person and to make my own decisions about our relationship. And I remember waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting 
and he never came. And we went home and uh, there wasn't really an explanation from my mom about what happened. She didn't know either. And then he called later on and he said, oh, I had a dentist appointment. I had a dental emergency and I couldn't come. And I remember as a child wondering, like, why didn't you tell me? So we didn't go to McDonald's and wait for you. I remember another situation, um, well, another meetup with him. It was very awkward, very uncomfortable. We met at a library and I remember feeling panicked at the library because I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't have a bond with him. Um, he wasn't around in infancy. I didn't have like an attachment to him. He wasn't one of my caregivers and it was really awkward and strange um, to me to be around him. I didn't know um, how to act. I didn't know um, how to talk to this person, this person who was biologically connected to me, but who I didn't know, who was a stranger to me. And uh, I remember he was following me through the different aisles in the library. Um, and he was just following me, but not really saying anything. And I felt really uncomfortable. I felt really awkward. And then I started walking faster. And I was looking for my mom because I knew she was in the library somewhere and I needed to see her because I was, I was uncomfortable. And she was my, my safe person. So I, I start running through the aisles of the library, just running through all of the books. And he started chasing after me. He was running and I didn't know what to do and I couldn't find my mom. So I went in the girl's bathroom because I said, he's not gonna follow me into the girl's bathroom. And he didn't, I went in there and a woman came in and she followed me and she said, do you know who that man is? Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I know who he is. That's my father. And I remember feeling so ashamed and embarrassed. When I came out the bathroom, he wasn't standing there waiting and I was able to find my mom easily. But um, that, that incident kind of characterized my relationship with him. This discomfort, this uh, lack of connection, lack of attachment, lack of consistency, even fear sometimes. And that stayed with me. It's really stayed with me all throughout my life. I wish that I could say that things have gotten better with time. They haven't. And that's okay. Um, I've come to a place where I have kind of identified my feelings about it. And I've set boundaries for myself. And for me, it is what it is. But that is a that is a significant adversity that I've faced. Oh, I don't know where to start. I'm not going to tell you all every trauma that I've experienced. Um, but I will also share that I've been sexually assaulted multiple times. One of those times was actually by an art teacher, someone that I trusted, um, someone that I believed in, somebody that introduced me to the art of mosaic. And that was a really traumatizing experience for me when I was locked in a warehouse there were other situations where I was sexually assaulted. I've experienced physical abuse. I have also dealt with the incarceration um, of somebody who I care about. I've experienced homelessness. I've experienced a lot of different things. 
some of those things were in childhood, some of those things were in adolescence, and some of them were in adulthood. And they changed the way that I viewed myself. They changed the way that I viewed the world around me. I'm going to share with you all in a little bit kind of, um, it, this kind of ties into one of my favorite memories, one of my memories um, with my mom at the beach. And um, that'll kind of also explain to you what my own perspective has been on the adversities that I have faced as well. I think it's important to note that every story includes adversity, it includes pain, it includes trauma, but every story also includes strength. And that for every story of trauma, there is always a story of strength, of resilience. So yes, I shared some of my traumas with you, but I also want to share with you um, some of my strengths and some of the incredible turning points that have happened in my life. So a positive, I want to say like a positive experience period for me throughout my life has been school. So I have always loved school. I told you all earlier that when I found out that school was canceled because of the snow, I was upset. And um, school was always like my safe haven. So despite all the conflict and the depression and the trauma and the anger and the fear that was happening at home all throughout my childhood, I could always go to school and I could learn something new and I could feel proud of myself and I could escape whatever was happening by reading a book, by learning about something new, by exploring. And, and I remember kindergarten distinctly. I don't remember everything about kindergarten, but I remember a lot. I remember um, that my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Copes, would make us um, applesauce out of her crock pot. And I remember... Um, I remember that she used to keep me up at nap time because I wanted to learn more and I would never fall asleep. So she would keep me up and she would teach me um, extra skills so that I could get even more ahead on my reading. I remember that she would give me and the other kids a hug. She also sent me to the first grade class when I was in kindergarten because she realized that the kindergarten work wasn't challenging enough for me. So she sent me to first grade while in kindergarten so that I could um, learn more. And I actually I actually ended up skipping first grade. Not everybody knows that about me, but I went from kindergarten to second grade. And I also started school when I was four. So I was five years old in the second grade. Something else I remember about Ms. Cope's classroom was that there was time to play, there was time to talk, there was time to learn, there was time to read, there was time to add. And Every morning we had a routine and we would sing um, The World is a Rainbow. And we also would listen to our morning announcements. And next to the announcement speaker was a sign. And that sign has forever been ingrained in my mind, on my heart. And that sign said, it can't. But the apostrophe and the T were crossed out. So it really said, it can be done. And every day, Ms. Copes reminded us that it could be done. And that sign has had such an impact on my life when I face adversity. Because so often, the things that I have faced, the challenges that I have sought to overcome, it felt like I could not overcome them. But in the back of my mind, I saw the sign that crossed out the doubt, that crossed out the apostrophe in the T and said, no, actually, it can be done. 
that I remember um, too, that at the end of every morning announcement, they said, I know that if I work at this, I can do it every day. I know that if I work at this, I can do it. And that was a really powerful message to send to all the children in my elementary school. I went to Barnaby, um, Barnaby Manor Elementary School in Oxon Hill, Maryland, Prince George's County. That was a powerful message that they sought to impart on us to the point that it was part of our self-talk every day. I know that if I work at this, I can do it. It can be done. Other positive experiences that I had in childhood were when I went to the beach. So my grandma had a beach house in Ocean City, Maryland. And for the summer, I would go to the beach with her. And my mom, she was always working multiple jobs. I want to say like she always had like three jobs. And she was she was finishing getting her uh, bachelor's degree. And then she went on to get her master's degree. I actually sat with her through her whole master's program in the back of the classroom, listening to uh, to all of the different lectures. But my mom would take a break sometimes and she would drive down to Ocean City, Maryland. And she taught me how to be in the water. She taught me about the waves. And I've always thought about writing an article about this because what she taught me in that water has been irreplaceable in my life. And it's had such an impact on how I look at and I seek to overcome the adversities that I faced. So she taught me things like you have to look at the waves and you have to decide whether or not the wave is big enough, is too big for you to jump. And if it's too big for you to jump, you have to hold your breath. You have to go through it and you have to wait until it passes over you. And I think about that in the context of the adversities that I faced. Some of the things that I have faced have been too big for me to jump. So I've had to hold my breath and I've had to figure out how to go through it. And I've also had to have the confidence to know that I will come back up. That that adversity is not going to keep me under forever. She taught me things like make sure that you're facing the waves. Because if you look away, that's how something can really get you. That's how you can get dragged under. But if you look at the waves, you can anticipate, you can gauge what it is that you need to do. She also taught me about the undertow and how powerful the undertow is and how you have to find a place on the shore to keep yourself grounded because the undertow is going to pull you and the undertow is stronger than you are. And you can never fight against the ocean because the ocean is stronger than you. But if you have a marker somewhere on the shore that will always help you get back to where you need to go. She also taught me that I can't overpower a wave. So I have to realize those situations where I have power and control and those that I don't. Also knowing my strength, but also knowing my limitations and knowing when I'm in over my head. There's so many things that she taught me just by being with me in the water. The water still to this day continues to be my safe place, one of the most relaxing places that I that I go. And all of those different things um, I think about while I'm in, in the water. 
And, and just, just to briefly touch on the adversities that we faced, my mom and I, um, life was not always smooth. I didn't always feel as connected to her as I wanted to be. She wasn't always able to be as emotionally available and patient as she wanted to be. But in those moments when we were in the water, we were connected and I am eternally grateful to her for that. To the point that now I've gone all, to all different countries um, just to be in the water. I've been to Brazil, I've been to Cuba, I've been to Puerto Rico, to Jamaica, um, different places on the East Coast, different places on the West Coast, uh, Mexico. And I feel like she's with me whenever I'm in the water. Another really positive turning point for me, I would say uh, I had two teachers in high school who challenged me, who marked my papers up, which I hated the red pen in high school. When I tell you, when I, when I did not get the grade that I thought that I was supposed to get, I went to the teacher after class, in between periods, during lunch, after school, whenever I could catch them, to ask them about those red pen marks. One of those teachers was uh, Bonnie Martin, and the other teacher was Jamie Riskin. And I hated it when I got a B on a paper. I hated seeing those red, red pen marks, but I realized that I needed those red pen marks in order to improve, to grow. Um, and then I later understood that the red pen mark is a good thing. It means that your story can improve. It means that you can continue to grow, continue to learn. And it also kept me humble too. So because I loved school and because I was a high achiever and was always, you know, doing multiple things as a child, you know, I was very confident in my academic abilities. And for me, that red pen humbled me and I appreciate both of them for doing it, for correcting me when I needed to be corrected for telling me that some of my sentences were awkward or some of my ideas were strange. Um, I've carried that, the need for editing throughout my life. So I think one of the barriers to our creativity or to uh, developing something that is truly successful and meaningful is because sometimes we're afraid to edit. And they taught me that. Other positive moments in my life. When I found out that I was accepted into the doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania, that was a really positive moment in my life. I had just experienced a major trauma and I felt really alone and I felt really depressed and I was suicidal and I didn't want to continue on and I didn't even want to get out of bed to take a shower. And then I got a letter and the letter said, you've been accepted into the doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania. And I didn't know how I was gonna get in how I was gonna get to the actual program because I actually had lost my lost my housing. And uh, I was living with family temporarily. I also ended up living with a friend, but she had no electric, so we had to use lanterns. It was like an adventure in and of itself that went on for a couple of months. But I said, I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna get there. I am going to get into that program um, and I'm going to get my doctorate. And I didn't even know why I wanted a doctorate. I just knew that I wanted people to listen to me. I wanted people to listen to what it is that I had to say. And I knew that as a woman of color and as a younger clinician, 
I needed whatever credentials I could get in order to be listened to, in order to be heard. So I went there and I, as I just mentioned, I was staying with a friend in her, uh, in her house and there was no electricity. And I, I was staying there because I had no other place to go and I needed to get myself back up on my feet again. So my first semester of my doctoral program, I was actually studying using an electric lantern. I would set up the couple electric lanterns so I could get my reading done. And uh, I also had this all-in-one printer, scanner, copier. Uh, and I used to sneak it into a booth at Panera so that I could um, print off my papers and my assignments and my readings. I would also stay at the library. The library at Penn would stay open until like midnight. So I would stay in there so that I could have light and also so I could charge all of my electronics and print off the things that I needed. So between Panera and um, in, in that library, the Van Pelt Library, I was able to get all of my work done. And I actually, my first semester, I got A's in all of my classes. And I'm like, if my professors only knew what I had to go through to get these A's. But I loved it and it was worth it. And I eventually got back on my feet again. Another really proud moment was seeing a piece of my artwork in the International Mosaic Show. So there's an organization called the Society for American Mosaic Artists, SAMA. And I had created this piece. It's a 3D piece and it's actually a mannequin. Um, and it's a plus size mannequin because I decided I wanted to create artwork on a curvaceous mannequin. So I chose a plus size one and I called it self-love because the different layers uh, of the piece represent my journey to try to accept and, and love myself despite all of the internal criticism that I had um, that I had been imposing on myself. And I didn't really, uh, I, I never really thought that I would have any of my artwork in an exhibit. Like I was making art to survive and I didn't really care if anybody else loved it. I, mean, I don't care if people love my art, hate it. For me, it's just my voice and my way of expressing things and you could take it or leave it, but I'm making it anyway. But something told me to put this particular piece in um, during their call for submissions for this internationally acclaimed art show. And I put it in and I received I received the um, the email telling me that it was accepted and I couldn't believe it. The show was was a couple of years ago. It was in Boston. And I remember walking into the space and seeing all of these other incredible pieces that were created by others, uh, other mosaic artists. And then I saw mine and it brought tears to my eyes to know that someone else had acknowledged the power in my artwork. I knew that it was powerful for me, um, whether it's ugly or pretty or, or um, pleasing to the eye or uh, frustrating and, and chaotic. I knew that, that all this art was meaningful to me. But um, to actually see it there in the midst of all this other artwork, it was, um, it was really significant. I have a lot of other positive moments too. So I've experienced a lot of traumas, but I've also experienced um, a lot of positive turning points. I've also had um, many different people throughout the course of my life who have provided me with support, who have helped me to continue on when I wanted to give up, who believed in me when I did not believe in myself, um, who pushed me to create even when I wanted to destroy, 
And while that's not one definitive turning point or one single positive moment, all of these people um, from elementary school until today, um, kind of this village of people has supported me in continuing on. So to segue, um, now I'm going to share with you what I envision for myself in the future. So I envision myself continuing to create. Um, I envision myself continuing to train people in trauma healing practices, in um, developing innovative resource materials, and organizing community events. I also envision my story's trauma narrative intervention um, having multiple sites nationwide where people can receive training and consultation and support and where people can access resources that are culturally relevant, that are strength-based, that, um, that are meaningful, that are connected, that are authentic, that are genuine. Um, I also see myself making an impact on trauma-affected um, trauma systems. So I've spent the majority of my career providing support to individual trauma survivors as a clinician. Recently, I've be begun to engage in system-wide work. Um, I've been working, I worked with the Office of Homeless Services um, in the city of Philadelphia, and now I'm working with um, a, a project called the Youth Arrest Reform Project. Um, along with that project in Philadelphia, I'm developing the trauma training for the Philadelphia um, Police Department. So I, I really see myself taking my clinical knowledge and my expertise and also my experience as a trauma survivor and identifying ways to change systems and to support systems in um, identifying innovative ways to provide safe healing environments for people who've been through trauma. I think another part of my vision is to come to a deeper understanding of myself. So I have, um, I was in therapy from the age of 15. At the age of 15, I looked up different therapy places because I said, I need help. So I called different organizations um, and I would, I would go back to my mom, my mom and say like, eh, I don't really like the tone of this place. Um, I don't really like, you know, the goals of this place. It's not really fitting in with what I want to do. Um, and then I remember finding the therapist. And I was like, mommy, I found her. And then, you know, she she transported me there and helped me get things started. And um, I had another therapist um, later on in life who was an art therapist. And she helped me understand parts of myself that I didn't even know that I needed to understand. She helped me through um, sexual trauma and physical trauma and the trauma of incarceration. She helped me through all of these things that I was trying to process and understand. Um, especially as these things impacted my own life. And then later on, I, um, I worked with another therapist who helped me kind of uncover another layer um, of my experience and of my identity. And each of these people helped me to understand a different piece of myself that I didn't know. And I think about them and I think about the fact that even when we think we've arrived, even when we think that we've learned everything there is to learn about ourselves, we can still dig deeper. There's still even more that we have to learn, to know, to understand about ourselves. And I think that part of my goal for the future is also to continue to come to a place of understanding and acceptance and compassion for myself 
Um, and I also hope to move away from this place of shame to this place of criticism and to be able to replace some of the more critical voices that are in my mind and my heart um, and that I know come as a result of my own trauma and to replace those with affirmation, with empowerment, with strength, with pride. Next, I want to share a few life-changing resources with you. So um, I love the resource that was developed by Dr. Christine Couture. It's called It's Not It's Not You, It's What Happened to You. And that's an incredibly well-written book that is um, very clear, that's in plain language, that I love, that um, also like helps us as trauma survivors kind of understand the impact of trauma on our lives. And it also uh, removes a lot of the shame. I would also highly recommend Healing the Fragmented Selves of Trauma Survivors. That was a life-changing book for me. It's written by Janina Fisher. And I was introduced to this book by, um, by a friend and colleague, and it has literally changed my world, changed my understanding of myself. So it talks about fragmentation. It talks about how we, when we've been through trauma, we experience dissociation and how we have to help have self-compassion and not just self-compassion toward the parts of ourselves that we like, but even the parts that we don't like, because all of them collectively together help to support us in growing and thriving um, and sometimes not necessarily to grow and thrive, sometimes just to survive. And we have to respect um, what all these different parts, all these different facets of ourselves have done in allowing us to survive, to keep going. I'm trying to think of other resources that have been life changing for me. I would also say uh, the work of Langston Hughes, it's affirming. Um, I love the way that he um, that he plays with language. Um, he has some short stories. He also has plays. I love the book Five Plays by Langston Hughes. He also has his poetry. Langston Hughes is definitely one of my favorites and has definitely his work has been transformative for me. I would also recommend that you look up a poem. It's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. I'm trying to think of what other resources. I love the writing and work of Dr. Sandra Bloom. Trying to think there are so many different things that have really played um, a significant impact on my life. So there are some resources to get you started. However, throughout the course of this podcast, not just in this episode, but in later episodes, I can also share some additional resources with you all as well. Oh, I'm forgetting about one of the main theorists that has impacted me. D.W. Winnicott. So Winnicott is one of the founders of object relations theory. And he's also one of the first, um, he was one of the first clinicians who actually said that play was really important to survival and to development. So while everyone else was kind of doing this, taking this Freudian approach, you know, laying on the couch, having a, having a blank face, um, Winnicott was like, he had doll houses and toys and people were like, what? Winnicott has dolls and toys? Yes, Winnicott did. And he emphasized the importance of play. And I don't love everything that Winnicott said. So you also have to kind of, when you're looking at different theorists and reading different books, also be discerning, be a critical thinker, know that you're not going to agree with everything that everyone says. But um, I love the things that Winnicott has said about um, delinquency and deprivation. I love the things that he has said about um, about hope. Like, for example, he said that that acting out behavior is not actually a sign that like somebody's a horrible person. 
acting out behavior is actually a sign of hope because everybody out there is looking to find someone to stand them. And if they're pressing your buttons and pushing boundaries, it's because they're looking to see if you are that person who can stand them. If you are that person who will still be there, regardless of the pain, regardless of the suffering, if you will still be there to support and guide them. Um, another thing that, that Winnicott talks about is creativity and destruction and the relationship between the two of those things. I actually created a webinar about creativity and destruction. Winnicott and also a theorist named Nitsen, who wrote a book um, about the anti-group, they both talk about this idea of creativity and destruction and how we have to allow both to live and breathe simultaneously. Um, Winnicott also talks about how creativity is not an add-on to life, that life would not be worth the living without creative ways to express ourselves. So I could go on and on about Winnicott and um, I have many additional resources which will continue to be shared. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corredo, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there is always a story of strength and resilience.